Hey, this is a Hakawari production. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I hope you're having a great day and are in good health. Because if COVID 19 has scared the bejeebers out of you, wait till you hear about this. Imagine a world where a paper cut could kill you and a simple STD would leave you permanently disfigured. Well, until 1928, when Alexander Fleming invented the first antibiotic, that's how it was. And now the World Health Organization is warning that antimicrobial resistance is the major public health concern facing humanity this century. My guest today has released a report on a new gene that is spreading globally that is causing resistance to colistin, one of the strongest antibiotics available, one that's referred to as the last line of defense. He's calling it a global crisis that threatens medicine as we know it. He's an assistant professor of food microbiology safety at the University of Georgia, among many other important and serious titles. Please welcome to the show Dr. Ismat Kasim. Hi, Ismat. Is Ismat okay or should I call you doctor? No, Ismat is okay. There are so many doctors out there. Ismat is okay. That's right. There's only one doctor, Ismat, though. <laughs> it's an unusual name, actually. We were just discussing that. Is it a Lebanese name? It is Lebanese, but I think it originated in Egypt or Turkey.、Uh, but I'm not sure. You know, it's,、um, uh, it's my dad's decision, decision to give me this name, and I. Didn't question him. I was too young. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very unique. Okay. So, Thank you. So, we've been hearing about superbugs and antibiotics becoming less effective for a while now. But what have you found in your research that's cause for real concern? What's happening right now? Okay. So, let, let me start with saying that we are witnessing something called a crisis when it comes to antibiotic resistance. This is not something that I'm saying. It's something that the WHO and the United Nations are saying. So、uh, it's not a situation that's limited to one country, it's global. And the reason why we are saying it's a global crisis because we rely a lot on antibiotics to treat infectious diseases. You know, prior to the 1930s, 1920s, infectious diseases, you know, infections with bacteria, they used to claim lives. You know,、uh, our life expectancy was low、uh, because of infectious diseases. With the discovery of antibiotics, basically, medicine has changed. You know, these simple infections or complicated infections later on that used to claim lives now can be treated easily with a simple. And effective and relatively cheap intervention, which is antibiotic. And this is actually, this being effective and cheap is the demise of antibiotics because we started relying on them heavily. And we knew, even when,、uh, when you know, Sir Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin in his paper that he, uh, uh, he wrote, his、uh, very famous paper, he said that resistance is going to happen because antibiotics are found in nature. Which means that mechanisms that are going to resist this antibiotic are also going to be found in nature. So, the overuse and abuse of antibiotics will increase and enhance the spread of resistance, meaning that simple infections that you used to treat with penicillin and penicillin or uh, uh, these antibiotics are no longer、uh, treatable because the bacteria evolved, they became resistant. Now, the second problem is that because they are relatively cheap, Big pharma stopped investing in new antibiotics. So we are running out 
uh, of new uh, options to treat infections. So previously, there was something called the golden age of antibiotics, where every five or six years, they come, came up with one or two or three new antibiotics. So if resistance happened, you had an alternative antibiotic to use. Now we don't have alternatives, so we need to really preserve what we have. Otherwise, we are going to uh, uh, be facing a major problem. Some of the forecasts, they predict that in 2050, up to 10 million people will be affected by antibiotic-resistant infections. This is more than cancer and more than non-communicable diseases in many, uh, some of the non-communicable diseases. So it's a major, major problem. Now, uh, the other thing that I, I want to mention here is that antibiotics, they are involved in almost every aspect of modern medicine. So it's not only about treating infections, it's also about making sure that immunocompromised people can stay healthier for a longer time. If you have an organ transplant, antibiotics are involved. Uh, if you have simple operations in the hospital, antibiotics are involved. So you losing them is a big, big problem. Losing their effectiveness is a big problem. And we are not talking about something that's going to happen in, in the future. It's actually started happening now. As you said, superbugs. A superbug is, by definition, is a bacterium that uh, does not respond to an antibiotic before. So it acquires resistance to it. An example, a very famous example, is something called Klebsiella pneumoniae. Only two summers ago here in the States, a lady in uh, Nevada, died because of an eclepsiella infection that causes pneumonia that couldn't be treated by all antibiotics used. So what was her prognosis? Her prognosis was we cannot do anything for her, and she died. And this is becoming more and more uh, 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 frequent. And it's predicted that if we don't take measures, effective measures right now, then uh, we are heading to a very problematic uh, medical crisis. Yeah, that's that's super scary. Um, maybe so. Uh, according to a Pew report, seventy-five to eighty percent of all antibiotics globally, and we use a lot of uh, antibiotics. I was reading about it today, and it's a growing mm. market. They're just producing more and more, and they're so cheap, and people are using them for everything. So, seventy-five to eighty percent are given to animals raised for food. So, how are these antibiotics making their way into humans? Is it from eating the meat? It's not only via eating the meat. It's, it's, it's through different routes. You're exactly right. So. Almost 80% of all antibiotics produced globally go into animal farming. And when we talk about animal farming, we are talking on all kinds of animals, meaning uh, uh, poultry, cattle, fish, aquaculture. So 80%, and this is a huge number. Now, this is an estimate, right? And they are used actually for three reasons, uh, antibiotics in animal farming. They are used for uh, to treat infections, because animals, like humans, they get infections, and they sometimes get infections with, with similar bacteria, like humans. For example, salmonella. Salmonella affects humans, and it affects animals. So they are treated for infectious diseases. So if there's an animal sick, you use antibiotics. They are used for something called prophylaxis, meaning if there is something that's going to be stressful for the animal, like let us say an animal like a cow broke its, its foot, uh, its hoof, and it needed an intervention, a medical intervention. They give it prophylaxis so that it doesn't, uh, antibiotics via prophylaxis, so it doesn't uh, develop an infection. These two 
are humane practices. These two are necessary practices. The controversy is in the third application, which is the use of antibiotics for growth promotion, meaning we, we give the animals antibiotics in their feed over a certain period of time to make them fatter in a shorter period of time. So the amount, the huge amount of antibiotics in the feed is given at something called sublethal level. So it's not enough to kill the bacteria, but it's enough to stress the bacteria for it to gain resistance. And because the antibiotics are given over a longer period of time and only for an economic purpose, which is to fatten the animal, that is controversial. This is why in Europe, this practice in many European countries has been ban has uh, they banned it. Uh, so you're not allowed to do growth promotion with antibiotics in certain European countries. In the States, in 2017, there's a directive that uh, uh, mandates by the FDA that to stop using antibiotics in feed, uh, in uh, farm animal feeds. But in other countries, like in the Middle East, in Africa, in uh, Far East, they still practice growth promotion. Now, one of the main problems of use, uh, doing this is the type of antibiotics that uh, might be used. For example, if we take the situation in Lebanon, colistin is an antibiotic. This colistin is called the last resort antibiotic. And the reason why it's called last resort is because it's used after all other antibiotics failed. So let us say a patient gets an infection. They used ampicillin, it didn't work. They used a cephalosporin, it didn't work. And these are antibiotics. They finally resort to using colistin. And this is the last resort. So if this fails, one of the last resorts, if this fails, then the patient is in big trouble, okay? That doesn't mean there are no solutions, but that means that the solutions might be difficult. You know, you might get to a point where you have amputations or you might get to a point where you cannot do anything for the patient. So colistin is used in agriculture. And in 2016, in China, they discovered for the very first time a gene called MCR that confers resistance to colistin in bacteria. Now, this MCR was unique because it could transmit this resistance between bacteria. So it can jump from one bacterial species to another. That was in 2016, four years ago. Now, MCR can be found on five continents in different countries. And the problem is is very severe in countries where they still practice uh, using colistin in animal farming. In Lebanon, for example, we found, uh, we did research on animal farms, specifically poultry farms, and we collected chicken droppings and we tested them to find if uh, that, that gene, MCR, there. We found that up to 95% of all samples had the MCR gene in them. And that MCR gene was transmissible. This is an extremely, extremely high number. And okay, so what does this mean? This means, you know, when you find something somewhere, especially when it's a bacterium or a gene, they don't stay in the same place. When we did more investigation, we actually found that gene in irrigation water. When we did even more investigation, we found that gene in seawater because they are all linked, right? Because of waste. The waste will pollute, uh, um, uh, farm waste will pollute nearby water bodies. Nearby water bodies will eventually find their way to the sea, etc. So it's, 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 
it's a system problem. It's it's a complicated problem, and not only we found this in in water and in uh, um, on farms. We found it in a toddler in a community. So uh, a toddler who was like uh, he was less than uh, uh, two years old, and in a community, which means no prior exposure to hospital settings. How how did that child uh, get the gene? Is how is it by ingesting it? Um, you, I know you're posting a lot on on your Twitter. You posted some reports about the Mediterranean water on beaches having this uh, resistant E. coli bacteria. Is it going in through uh, cuts and stuff like that? How do people? How does it get transmitted to people? Well, there are several different ways. Of course, ingestion is one of them. Uh, uh, so if you eat contaminated food that has bacteria that has this gene in them. Uh, you will end up with a cholesterol-resistant infection, for example. Uh, water, uh, if, if you drink contaminated water, you will end up with this gene uh, in the body. Environmental exposure, if you're swimming, you will end up with this uh, uh, resistant uh, bacterium and resistant gene in the body. So it can be via food, via environment, uh, via water. Uh, these are the uh, different ways of exposure. Now, the danger of it is that this gene is transmissible. Remember, that's the key point here. So it can jump between bacteria. And what we have found is that, for example, very uh, disenfranchised populations, like, for example, refugees, we found the gene and the bacteria in, uh, in their drinking water even, right? And these are populations that are susceptible to disease. Now, when we ingest this gene and this bacteria, and if they are able to colonize, to get hold of our digestive system or to, to find a place in our digestive system to remain, what happens is that they are going to divide. And when we, they divide, they get excreted in bigger numbers. So there's a cycle there that needs to be stopped. Why it needs to be stopped? Also, based on our research, uh, I measured the use of colistin for human infections in hospitals. I found that between 2010 and 2017, the use of colistin to treat infections in hospitals increased by five times. What does this mean? That means we rely on colistin to treat uh, complicated infections in our hospitals. Okay. Uh, it also means that and I did some calculations. These are only assumptions. These are mathematical projections. I found that in 2017, we imported enough colistin and we imported only to use it for human use. I mean, not, I'm not talking about animal use. That was enough. The amount was enough to treat 3,000 patients. I mean, if colistin will fail due to the emergence of resistance in, in the environment, in water and in food, it would be catastrophic. Uh, and I, I'm not mincing my words here. Yes, it will be catastrophic because we rely on it. Now, while colistin, you can say in hospitals, for example, is tightly regulated or should be tightly regulated, its use in agriculture is not. So I can go to any uh, uh, vet store or drug store that caters for farmers and I can buy colistin and I can give it to my animals. So it's not regulated. I believe in Lebanon, because of all of the uh, issues in that country, that we should do like what the Chinese has, have done, uh, like what uh, uh, they have done in the Philippines and in other countries. We should ban the use of colistin in agriculture. 
is it the same problem, for example, in Saudi Arabia, the UAE? It's it's a problem where where they produce their own food, right? Like, for example, in many of the countries that you have uh, mentioned, they don't necessarily have farms. But yes, for example, in Qatar, they did detect MCR in, in their poultry. So yes, and we actually, I did a mapping of the MENA region, uh, which is North Africa and uh, and the Middle East. And the gene was detected in uh, in Saudi Arabia. It was detected in Egypt. It was detected in uh, Morocco, Algeria, and in other countries. Not necessarily in animals, though. Some of them were in animals. Some of them were in humans. Very, very interestingly, you know, since we carry this gene as humans, not only by food, we can move it around. Meaning, let us say, you know, there is uh, the Middle East is known for its for hosting like some of the biggest human gatherings in the world, whether it's in Hajj or in pilgrimage to uh, Jerusalem, right? So imagine that you have people there that are getting exposed to that gene and then they are carrying it to other places. I actually wrote a paper about that and it's been documented. But how would you transmit that like at a big event? Because you were saying that it's like through the stool, right? It divides and then you excrete it. Is Is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's one way. Let us say you're in, in, in pilgrimage and uh, you ingested food that's contaminated with MCR in, uh, in the, with that gene in a country where that gene is prevalent. Mm. Then you are going to be colonized and then you're going to transmit it to your country. And then in your country, you know, fecal pollution happens. So it can be excreted in that country and then it can contaminate something else. So sewage treatment is also important. Most definitely. Now, the thing that... You should also keep in mind, since we're talking about food, water, humans, and environment, right? So there should be an intervention that, you know, there should be a bottleneck. And the bottleneck here is the use of this antibiotic in farming. You cannot withdraw the use of colistin from hospitals. You can regulate it tightly, and I believe it is regulated, I'm talking about Lebanon, I believe it's regulated to a point in hospitals because it's only used under certain conditions. Yeah, because it's really strong, right? I was reading that it was banned for many years and then it kind of re-emerged in 2016 because it was uh, damaging to some organs. Yeah, so in uh, medical use, colistin was banned in the 70s. Well, not banned, but it was removed in the 70s because it, it has nephrotoxicity. It can damage the kidneys. Right. So they they decided, okay, let's move away from it. But then when these all these antibiotic resistance emerged, they needed to resort to something that is still that's still effective. And colistin was one of them. So they reintroduced it to human medicine. But keep in mind that it was never withdrawn from animal practices. Right. So it's widely believed it's due to the use of this antibiotic in animal farming practices that this MCR gene, the gene that causes resistance and jumps between bacteria, emerged. Let me put put it this scenario, okay? So let's take salmonella, for example. Let's take that this salmonella is already multidrug resistant. Multidrug resistant means it's already resistant to at least three classes of antibiotics. Then it's evolving to acquire resistance to carbapenems, which are uh, considered to be one of the uh, interventions in hospitals, which are, these are antibiotics. So you have this bacterium, Salmonella or E. coli or Klebsiella, that is resistant to all of these antibiotics, and now it acquired MCR. 
So the, the antibiotic that you should resort to is no longer effective, right? So that would be a scenario that should be stopped, basically, so that I, I don't want to scare anybody, but it, it should be stopped. Now, uh, the paper that I, one of the papers that I wrote, I, I titled it as Audacious Hitchhikers, because they do, they hitchhike, you know, even if you, let us say I traveled to a country that has a high prevalence of MCR, and it's uh, reported in the literature, for example, travelers from the Netherlands who visited places in Asia only for a short period of time, whether they were young or old, they carried this gene back to the Netherlands. So it's really important to intervene in those countries, to, to control the problem in those countries. So the, the issue of people, for example, taking too many antibiotics, which is also another problem, right? People take antibiotics for everything these days, especially in the Middle East. You have a fever, take antibiotics. But that's not where the problem lies, right? Usually because they're taking bigger doses, so you're not developing that gene. Is, no, that, is that what I'm understanding? No, no, no. No, uh, the misuse and abuse, the access without prescription, and using them for things like flu, because antibiotics shouldn't be used with the flu, right. because flu is viral, or using them for headaches is a big no. Uh, uh, because what you're doing here, first of all, you're killing the normal flora, the normal bacteria in your body, which allows for pathogens to take hold of your body. So you're eliminating the bacteria that are not resistant, and we use the term selecting for the bacteria that are resistant. Mm -hmm. So you are providing an environment for resistant bacteria to evolve and for resistant bacteria to persist in, in, in the body and in the environment. Remember something else also. Uh, some, certain classes of antibiotics, up to 60% or even 80% of the antibiotic is not metabolized in the body, it's excreted. So it ends up in the sewage and water ways where mm. resistance is going. So when you have an antibiotic, what, wherever you are, in a hospital, in, outside the hospital, on a farm, you are basically selecting for antibiotic-resistant bacteria. I focused on colistin because of its relation to agriculture, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that colistin is on, the only problem. No. Take tetracycline, for example. The issue with colistin is, is last resort. That's why I am uh, I am like sort of please ban it. Okay, if you don't want to ban uh, all antibiotics, at least ban the last resort. Yeah, that That's makes sense. That's why I'm focused on it. But that doesn't mean that the other antibiotics are not problematic. You know, uh, the use of antibiotics in, for all purposes in animals, whether it's treatment or prophylaxis, as I mentioned previously, in Europe and in the U.S. is really, really tightly regulated. Even in humans here in the U.S., if you don't, if you want ampicillin, you cannot go to a, a, a pharmacy and get ampicillin. You have to go to your doctor. He has to prescribe it for you. Without a, a prescription, you cannot get it. In the Middle East, it seems like it's pretty much a free for all. You just go to the, you just ask yes, the pharmacist for whatever you want. Yes, in the Middle East and in in Africa and in uh, um, and in Asia, uh, in many countries in Asia, that's it's 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 a really really big problem. That's why the predictions that uh, that I mentioned previously about uh, millions of people dying, the, most of the projections, the highest numbers are in Asia and in Africa. Right, because yeah. of these issues, so it's it's a really complicated multi-level issue. There's the issue of uh, people using antibiotics on their own. There's a, a issue of hospital use of the antibiotic, and there's the issue of using them in agricultural practices. Now, also, I have uh, to mention that those antibiotics are not different. So the antibiotics that you are using with your animals, most of them are the same that you are using with with the humans. 
there are certain ones that are specific for a human uh, for animals uh, but the majority like for take for example in the US the FDA has um, if i remember correctly 41 uh, different antibiotics approved for animal use out of those 41 around 31 or 32 are also used in humans right so this overlap let me simplify it i know that the issue is is, is not uh, very direct forward so if i'm taking ampicillin and i'm taking ampicillin on my own without prescription and not the correct way, then the bacteria in my body, they are going, because the bacteria divide and the mutations happen, I will be selecting for antibiotic, ampicillin resistant uh, bacteria in my body or a pathogen. So if I keep doing this over time, ampicillin won't be able to work on those bacteria. Same thing in agriculture, same thing in hospitals. Last thing I, uh, um, uh, I want to mention about agriculture. I know I'm jumping between topics, but because it's, it's, it's really complicated. You, you told me that it's an issue of selecting for a bacteria that's resistant and selecting for uh, genes. It's not only that. Colistin is that. It works like that. But other antibiotics, if they are not used properly in food animals... They can be absorbed by the muscles, by the meat. And then if you are eating a chicken or you're eating uh, beef, you are actually ingesting antibiotics, right? So uh, like take, for example, ampicillin, because everybody knows ampicillin, right? Or tetracycline. Those can be the word that we use, accumulate. So if you are using them wrongly uh, in, in chicken or in beef, they can end up in the muscle, in the meat. Then when you ingest the meat, you are actually ingesting the antibiotic at low dosage. And as I mentioned previously, when you use them at low dosage, then the bacteria are highly likely to respond by, by, uh, uh, um, becoming, by resistance. Yeah, by yeah, resistance, which resistant. is a whole other issue. And I know that in the States, you know, they have these labels on, on meat that it's antibiotic free, but it's not really well regulated. And I know that there's a private uh, industry that's responding to this. There are startups. There's this, this company called Food ID. I don't know if you heard about it, where they're testing the meat while it's as soon as it's, you know, uh, at the slaughterhouse as soon as possible and takes 10 minutes to see if it has any. So there, there's like a private industry that's kind of emerging to help regulate in the U.S. at least. I think it's going to be a while before that happens here. But I wanted to, uh, you know, I was reading reading into this today and i read that the risk of a woman dying in england during labor is today 40 to 50 times lower than 60 years ago because we have antibiotics so that means that we could be going back to a world where giving birth is like playing russian roulette right do people realize like how serious this is not in the middle east and north africa no no uh, quite frankly, I'm being frank. Uh, uh, they, they, they. Some people do, but no, um, they don't realize. You know, uh, going back to the discovery of penicillin, when when penicillin was discovered, of course, it was found in a mold, and they needed to extract penicillin, and they had to do lots of things to extract it. To extract it, and it. It's, it was around, um, uh, we were approaching World War II, etc. So they were able to extract a very small dose and they wanted to test it. It so happened that there was a police officer, uh, this is a very well-known story, that was actually, that had a small injury on, on his face that got a bacterial infection. And that police officer was going to die. So they tested that dose on him and he got better. 
But unfortunately, they didn't have enough to continue the treatment, so he died. Mm. So it's like a simple scratch on his face that was infected by a bacterium led to his death. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it's not only, you know, it's women in labor, the children, yeah. uh, uh, organ transplant, immunocompromised ind- individuals. You know, uh, if you're immunocompromised, if you have an, uh, uh, a problem in your immunity, you're susceptible to any kind of infection. So uh, you take antibiotics as a, uh, a precaution. Yeah. Um, this is why this is a global crisis. This is why we we are sounding the alarm, and we've been doing so. This is we've been doing so for many years. And I thought in my mind, you know, when I first started this work, and because I did, I, I do, I um, I researched this in the U.S. I researched this in Africa and uh, in Lebanon in the Middle East. Uh, when I started that in Lebanon, you know, I didn't expect, honestly, I know there was a, there, there is a problem, but I didn't expect to find the resistance to MCR and other antibiotics. By the way, I didn't only uh, test colistin, I tested colistin and other uh, antibiotics. I didn't expect to find this high uh, of resistance. I didn't find uh, expect to find this prevalence of this gene there. Uh, it's a real problem. It's a problem that requires us to uh, intervene and to intervene now because the longer we wait, uh, the more problematic it becomes. Especially that you said it multiplies and splits. So you mentioned that countries should at least be banning colistin, colistin uh, if mm-hmm. not other antibiotics um, in that third use that you mentioned for uh, for agriculture. Should we also be investing in developing new antibiotics? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because big pharma is not or stopped investing in producing new antibiotics for a couple of reasons. Because it takes a lot of investment to produce a drug, as you know. And then, if this drug bacteria will develop resistance to it, or it's going to be cheap, then it's not worth investing in. They ra- rather invest in things like cancer therapy, diabetes, and whatnot. So what the Europe. And the states and other countries, they are moving towards uh, giving incentives to small companies uh, to reinvest in uh, in finding antibiotics. So they are giving them money. Yes, ideally, in an ideal world, we want to find an alternative to antibiotics. But for now, I think it's essential to seek new antibiotics. Because, you know, uh, why I'm saying an alternative? Because every time you're going to find an antibiotic, resistance is going to happen to this. Eventually, it's going to happen to that antibiotic unless it's used prudently. And these these investments are crucial. These investments are, are needed. Now, alternative to antibiotics are there, but you know, they they should work more on them, like vaccines, for example, would, would be awesome. There is a technology that's called um, uh, small molecules. These are, they work a little bit differently than antibiotics. For example, the use of probiotic bacteria hmm. can be an alternative to antibiotics. Um, so there are alternatives, bacteriophages are alternatives, but we need to invest in uh, um, um in them. Now, I need to, to point out something, so, uh, and it's normally forgotten. Antibiotics remain especially important for people in uh, countries that have economic problems, like basically developing countries. 
Access to antibiotics there is a must, but it has to be regulated, of course. Meaning, like, you know how many infections you can control with a cheap antibiotic in Africa or in the Middle East? It's a lot. We cannot stop using them for that purposes. However, we have to invest in new ones, invest in different technologies, regulate it tightly where we can and ban it where we can so that we can keep on treating people because ultimately that's that's the purpose, right? Yeah. And people forget that people think, oh, well, it's just in developing countries. But obviously, the problem may kind of explode there, but then it spreads to the rest of us. So um, I'm so glad that you're doing this great work. Um, and keep it up. I hope I so hope much. people heed your warning um, before it gets worse. And it's been great talking to you. Thanks for taking time out of your deep research. Thank you. That's it. Hope you enjoyed this eye-opening conversation. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you know when we have new episodes coming out and check us out on social media. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Thank you.